Hello and welcome back to Choose Film, a real retrospective podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Gary. And welcome to episode two of guests and technically episode three. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So this week we have the lovely guest host, Paul Mackey with us. Hi, Paul. Thank you so much for joining us today. No, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I'm looking forward to this. Yes, amazing. So um, Paul has chosen a film based on our first features uh, theme. And Paul, do you want to tell us what that film is? So that film is Pushing Hands, um, which is directed by Ang Lee, um, which was originally released in like 91, but it took a wee while before it actually got a full release. So yeah, um, a, re- a brilliant film. Um, yeah, that's uh, the one I've decided to go with out of the many choices I could have had. Yeah, it's such a broad um, theme, but I'm excited to talk about about pushing hands. And do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, Paul? Yeah, so um, I've kind of been in and out of the film industry for about 10 years now. So um, I started out when I was about 15. I've always wanted to do film in some way, whether it be writing, directing or whatever. But um, I started out on uh, World War Z. I, I was an extra on that, which was a really fun experience. I think I was about 15, 16. Doing that film made me really realise I wanted to be behind the camera. So, yeah, then I went off to uni. I went to study at the SEE Institute. Yeah, and then after that, I left. I was doing various projects that I, I you know, worked with Gary while I was at uni. I was doing, I did Click for Gary. I was doing cam operating on that. Um, I worked in a film called Redcon 1 while I was still at uni as well, which is now on Netflix. Um, that's a zombie horror film. It's weird on the, the point of first features. It was weird because I got to work on Red Common with Carlos Giardo, who was the original El Mariachi and Rob Rodriguez's first feature. Um, and then um, after that, I went on to various shorts and stuff and got my first studio film um, in 2017. So that was Infinity War. I worked in the locations department for that as a location runner. And then that was followed by like Outlocking, Hobbs and Shaw. Um, yeah, so I've kind of been doing a lot of that, and I'm now I'm now teaching as well part time back at SE. So um, I've done a kind of a variety of stuff, but now I'm kind of focusing a lot on uh, my own writing and directing. Nice. And Paul, with pushing hands, what was your experience like the first time you've seen it compared to the most recent viewing? If you have seen it more than once, the biggest thing I got from the first watch was how different it was from Ang Lee's current films we're, we're so used to, i was so used to seeing ang lee do these massive blockbusters you know i think hulk was probably my first sort of like 40 with ang lee and again that's a massive blockbuster film and it didn't do too well but then life of pi again massive blockbuster of a film but with pushing hands and um, when i went back to kind of look at his earlier work pushing hands for me was just it still had the embodiment of ang lee's work and um, of his good you know his, his character his characterization is brilliant so I, I really enjoyed it the first time. It wasn't what I was expecting to watch. And then there's a kind of almost surrealism in it um, with the whole Tai Chi element of it. Um, I just remember being kind of expecting it to be, you know, a typical drama, father and son drama, you know, a cultural divide. But then it had that element to it that kind of took me by surprise, but never been over the top either. So I really, I, I was kind of, was I enjoyed it. I knew I would enjoy it, but I was surprised as well of how good it was um, and how good the acting was in it. I, I nearly went for for the ones that were kind of, more, I wouldn't say more obvious, but, you know, Robert Rodriguez uh, with Mariachi, you know, Kevin Smith with Clerks, they, they're all quite famous first films. And then when I did Convergence, I was working with Jeremy Theobald, who was in Chris Nolan's first film. And again, I could have gone following as well, but I wanted to pick one that, again, took me by surprise where when I came to watch it, it wasn't like an obvious watch. Um, with Ang Lee, you might want to maybe start off with like Sense and Sensibility because really that's his first film that I would say is in the mainstream world. Whereas um, again, this one felt slightly outside of that. That trilogy he did with, with their seat, drink, man, woman, and um, the wedding banquet. I was kind of like we almost live in a world of its own, and I found it really interesting. Even when I went to watch it, and whenever you kind of approached me about the podcast, I thought it was it was one that hopefully maybe people haven't seen before, and maybe we'll go to now. Well, I hadn't seen this film before uh, you picked it. And to be honest, film buffs are going to hate me when I say this, but I've actually never until now seen an Ang Lee film. I started uh, Crouching Tiger 
Yeah, yeah. But never got never got to the end of it. So this was my first first look at Ang Lee in general, and I was kind of expecting more to be honest. I don't know. I was just it's it's basically like a fish out of water story. Yeah. But then it doesn't really explore this new scenery. And that's what I was expecting, like looking at like the trailer and just the synopsis, you were expecting it going to be like a lost in New York type feel. So for any of our listeners who maybe haven't seen the film Pushing Hands, here's a little synopsis for you. So having just moved from Beijing, elderly Tai Chi master Mr. Chu struggles to adjust to life in New York, living with his Americanized son Alex and his family. Chu immediately butts head with his daughter-in-law Martha and when Chu begins teaching Tai Chi at a local school, his desire to make a meaningful connection comes to fruition in the most unexpected of ways. Take from that what you will. Um, so Paul, if you had to rate this film out of ten, what would you give it? So I would, I would give this based on, still now it would be eight and a half out of ten for me, eight point five. Yeah. And actually, to come back on one of Gary's points there, um, it was weird because I had the exact my first watch I had the exact same reaction as I was watching it, not after I'd watched it, but as I was watching it, I was I had this ex- expectation of what I thought it was going to be and how I thought that you know the characters would almost come to the the, the world you know they would, they would kind of click and they do in a, way, a slight way at the end but it's in a more subtle way than in the stereotypical kind of you know modern film and that kind that's what i kind of liked about it because i went into thinking and expecting it to be a b c and d and then he kind of takes you on a journey that isn't quite that and i, I feel like it's angley at his best even now still he doesn't take you on the journey you always expect i thought it was a beautiful film and I've given it a 9 out of 10. I really expected a film that was all about Tai Chi. I never had any other expectations and I just got so taken in by it and by the characters and their relationships and yeah, 9 out of 10 for me. I would go 6.8. Very specific. That is a very specific. Yeah, I mean yeah, there's other films that I like that I've only gave a seven to in general and in, in, in my head, so I can't quite go to there. But yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. Okie dokie. Um, so, let's get started. From Ang Lee, the internationally acclaimed director of The Wedding Banquet and Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. From the producers of the award-winning The Brothers McMullen comes a touching story about the master of an ancient martial art called Pushing Hands. I grew up believing you should care for your parents the way they care for you. My father is a part of me. Um, My first point in the film, something that I absolutely loved, was that we were seven minutes into the film before there was any dialogue. And I was just encaptured by Mr. Chu's routine. I just couldn't believe how committed he was to it and how much it was annoying Martha. And I I genuinely think I could have watched like an hour of that, just no dialogue, them living their lives. And I was just so drawn in by it. And I thought it just made me think so much about like how much dialogue do we always need? That first seven minutes was beautiful. And it's only when he goes and puts his... um, dinner in the microwave with the tinfoil and she's like no metal in the microwave um in the start as well that shot where you see them both through different windows of the house and that's just kind of hit me that okay they are living in the same world but individually they're living in completely different worlds and it just got me really excited to see how this was going to turn out yeah loved loved the start yeah it was quite zen wasn't it it was like quite literally the film starts with pushing hands there was literally hands pushing through the screen like so yeah i loved it it just made me think oh there's so many different possibilities to how how you can draw someone in with the start of a film and i just never really expected to get into it so so quickly with that yeah do you also think it was on that point as you were saying about um not expecting obviously you expect to be about tai chi and in that opening i had, I had a similar reaction where 
they were doing, you know, he was doing the Tai Chi stuff, and and it, but I, I didn't expect it to be in such a because I, I didn't watch a trailer for it before I watched it. I just watched it, and I didn't expect it to be in such a modern, like Western world. Absolutely, and nothing was over the top, you know. Like I completely, like believed his journey and his little routine, and I believe that's what he does every day. And as well with her stress and anger and pure frustration, and it just seemed the hatred for this, this man because it. Well, before, you know, is it her friend that's like yeah. selling the house or sells houses? Before she comes in, you don't really know what their relationship is. And I was like, is this a house share? Are they related? Like, what's going on? And just seeing that absolute stress, I was like, okay, you've got me right away. <laughs> yeah, thought it was a great, great start. Can I jump in with my yeah, yeah, number go. one here? Because it's pretty much the same point mm-hmm. as it's just all about the opening scene and how we learn just so much about these people without them actually saying one word. It starts in the middle of the crisis. The easy way to do that would be to start with him moving over from China, getting picked up, and then you see how they have became so cold to each other. Like they could have shown all that, but instead you're tossed into it right in the middle, and then you need to start piecing that together. And what was really clever as well is to actually start the scene on a close-up of his hands. And to me, I was like, okay, we're going to be opening up in some sort of dojo or gym here. And then the camera pulls out further and you're like, okay, it's his house. So right away you're thinking it's his house. And then it goes to like the keyboard and you're like, is this still the same place? And it's all this building, this mystery. Like, like literally, because you're getting the divides of the world, you don't even need to know. I mean, you obviously know he is a Chinese man and you know that she's a Western woman. Like, you, you know that just by, obviously, visual, but as well, you get the difference of them just by literally what they're doing with their hands. And the cinematography, it almost goes with the pushing hands. If you notice, the cinematography has almost got this Tai Chi motion of in and out. It's, it's almost mimicking the motion of, of him performing his, his sort of routine and his discipline. And that was actually one of the first points I loved about it was that they place himself not just in the window of the shots. If you've noticed, there's shots of him like sitting um, in the living room or the kind of the you know the open area, and then her in the background typing. And they're literally she's framed within a doorway, and he's in. They're they're in two separate worlds. And then there's like another one where he's like standing outside having a cigarette. And again, she's sitting and uh, you know trying to get about her date, and he's just standing smoking at the door. Now he doesn't even close the door. He's still framing himself in her world, like one foot in, one foot out. And I kind of love that throughout it all. He's just like so kind of like in, you know, he's all about the zen, all about the cam, yet he's somehow enraging her throughout the whole thing. He's so smooth and elegant with every movement he makes. And then it cuts to a contrast where she's like stiff and upright and almost awkward to look at. Totally. And the music, by the way, the music is just, I, I can't even remember who did the music, but the music... I thought was just amazing. I thought, like, again, just even in that opening sequence, it helps set the balance for what's to come. Do you know what's quite a good thing? And I'm kind of jumping slightly ahead anyway, but the um, the there's a scene once the the Alex the the son he's trashed the 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 whole you know the house and all that, and he's gone off in a rampage, and then the father returns home. He because him and him and Martha cannot con you know communicate. You know he is very much a man from Beijing and she is very much a woman of America and they don't really make any real sort of moves to actually communicate with each other in any real way he helps her tidy up there was this almost moment of like you know their communication has to go beyond language like they can communicate it's just they choose almost not to and there's just that moment where he comes in and helps her tidy up and it's like but again I think that's also what Ang Lee does well is he doesn't force the point you know, he doesn't need to have a, a whole line of dialogue. And I think that almost is, is an essence of what filmmaking is. Like, he's put in a position where he's got to make a film where at least two of the characters, sometimes more, cannot communicate with each other. And how can you do that visually? It's beautiful what he does. Yeah. And it's 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 nice as well because it's not just putting it plainly for the audience, do you know? It's leaving them up to go on this journey and let it speak for itself without actually speaking <laughs> um but yeah and do you not think that's where it kind of goes to that that that's where for me it took it to that slightly more um i don't even want to say sort of spiritual or surreal level but there was almost a surrealness about it where 
uh, there's a surrealness I always thought to like things like Tai Chi and, and, th- and elements like that, where it, there is a, an element of magic around it. Like how are some of these things even possible? It's really interesting because I had a, a neighbor out the back garden who would come out every day and do Tai Chi. And I used to sit and eat my breakfast just watching and I was engrossed. When this film was picked, I thought I was going to be the same. I actually was more engrossed with the, the guy doing it out, out the back garden than uh, this film, and I don't know what it was. Because I even tried it. I tried to go and do some Tai Chi. I, I just was maybe... I'm going to blame it on the videos that I was watching, <laughs> too advanced, rather than saying that I couldn't get into it. <laughs> yeah. Well, when, when Ang Lee... Because th- this was a film... I mean, Ang Lee was in his 30s when he made this film. This wasn't a film that was made you know, like some kind of prodigy. Like this was about six years before from leaving NYU to actually making a film. And apparently, because he was trying, I think he wrote The Wedding Banquet, which was his second film. I think he wrote that first. And then a competition had come up and he he, to write another one, he thought, oh, well, I need to kind of, I think it was about a father and a son and it didn't quite fit The Wedding Banquet. So what he decided to do was write a different story. And um, he was doing Tai Chi at the time in a community space. Just tell me what you think, Gary, but do you think if the Tai Chi element hadn't been there and it had just been a very straightforward story, like, you know, without that element added in, do you think it would have been, for yourself, a more interesting story? Do you think that maybe there was elements in there that, that you felt were just lagging? No, I, I, I loved the Tai Chi stuff in it. I thought it worked really well. It was very over the top when it came to the kitchen restaurant oh, scene. That's my favourite. Yeah. Right, but I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll get into that. I think I was just looking for a wee bit more of that fish out of water thing. Like, when he goes for that walk, he's our main character. Why didn't we go on that journey with him? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think of that. That's what I was, That's you know, instead we kind of stayed with Martha. Yeah. It's not her story. She's part of this, this character's story, but she's not the central story. It's like in um, Room. I don't know if he's a secret room. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a bit spoilery for room, so skip ahead if, Incredible if you've not film. seen it. But ready? Okay. And in room, we follow that boy's journey as he gets put in the carpet in his road and we leave the mum because it's his story. So when when Mr. Chu left, we should have went with him. I wanted that lost in New York. But maybe maybe it comes down to, as you say, first film, not got the budget to show New York. We can't close off streets. How do we get around that? Okay, we stick with Martha. Mm-hmm. Do you know the only the only thing I would say against that, Gary, is I don't I don't think True is our main character, but I don't think that he is necessarily the character we see his story through. I think we see it through all the other elements. We see it through you know Martha. We see it through Alex. We see it through Jeremy, the grandchild, and we see it through um, Mrs. Chen. And I think we almost, although we see elements of his story and even like stuff, as you say, in the kitchen and when he's doing his thing, but we always see it with someone else. We rarely ever see Chu on his own without someone else to kind of almost um, balance the story. I feel like we are almost the other person in the room. Okay. Um, I mean, that's the way I took it. But then let's say I, I agree. And then Mr. Chu goes out his walk and then we stick with Martha. What, what we're learning about him when he's not there? Nothing. But we're learning about his impact on her life. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. I feel like that really emphasised the difference between them, like culturally and the way they see family as well. I think it for me it showed how much she really resented that he was there, and I feel like she enjoyed enjoyed him being away. And then you know that comes in later when he does come back, but. I think that kind of, for me, played on their dynamic as a household, um, which I quite like. Yeah, I can't believe I can't believe I'm going to compare these two films, but <laughs> like, you could easily have like that scene in Home Alone Two, Lost in New York, <laughs> at night. Everyone is freaky, you know. You can really show these gritty streets of New York at night that he is just not used to. And that would have built so much more emotion and you'd feel for that character more. I mean, you do feel for him through the whole film anyway, but they've just added that extra wee layer. No, I, t- I, I, do, I do see where you're coming from. Like, I do get your point and I think that's what's actually quite interesting about it is that 
people will see this film in many different ways and i think even some of the points you're making actually i'm like i'm like i don't even necessarily think of the specifics of that but like i think i do get where you're coming from and i also think i think the problem with his character because he is a very two-dimensional character really at the heart of it because he's a tai chi master and, and he alludes to it as the fact that later on when he's telling the story about the cultural revolution is that no one would touch him because he was a tai chi master and even in the element of like you know there's the kitchen stuff and there's a the stuff in the when he's doing tai chi in the community place like he's a man who can't really fear anything and i think the only thing he really fears is that he's not going to be looked after in his old age because obviously that's the tradition of you know like confucianism is just like you know son looks after father father looks after son and all that so i think in a way he is two-dimensional and i think that's maybe my only negative thing about it is that he's almost just there to represent i feel like the wife and the son and all the other characters around it are actually more well formed than he is i think he's just almost a device within it mm. no, i don't know if i agree i think he was very <laughs> very good in it but uh, but well, I realize... he's, a, he's a good character, but I just I think everything about him is very divisive. Um, I realise we've not actually had your first point, Paul. No. <laughs> I know. My, well, just... no, my first point actually was the cinemat uh, was the cinematography and how um, the, the cinematography almost acts as a sort of um, Tai Chi esque, especially in those scenes, but even throughout the movie, the way it moves. Also, food. Have you ever noticed how much food is in Ang Lee's films? Ang Lee, I mean, there's literally his next film, Deep Drink Man Woman, where it was just full of food. But like, even in this one, like food, but food's such a big part of a family environment, I think. But if you notice even like some of the stuff that the wife does later on, Martha, she ends up cooking food like he does. Like, like it's weird, these little things you kind of pick up and I'm kind of jumping forward. But the cinematography in general, I think really helped um, not just tell the story, but be another sort of like mini character within the story. Because sometimes, especially films it's just a drama like at the end of the day like it's nothing like massive and blockbuster to it but it really helps sell that story yeah it's it definitely steers you in the right direction and it adds to like the sort of motion of the story as well um it's definitely got a nice flow to it you're always um, moving pretty much yeah right? you're always moving and that kind of goes into my next point actually a little bit about movement is something I loved and it's like a really really short part of a scene when they are they go for the picnic with Mrs Chen's family and he is doing the I'm not sure what it's called but it's some sort of energy healing on her shoulder and there's just one part where it's sort of towards the end of his uh, ritual or whatever it is and he lifts his hands and slowly puts them on her shoulders and I don't know what it was but I felt like his energy it was such a slow controlled movement onto her shoulders but that energy like translated so well to the audience and I actually I felt like I understood the healing power of him whereas before when he was um healing Martha and then he like inadvertently caused the internal bleeding um I didn't really get it but it was just at that point when it was so slow and controlled. Like, I, I was like holding my breath <laughs> watching it. I was like, oh my God. And that's when I kind of got, okay, this is his power. More so than when he's doing the pushing hands and, you know, flinging, flinging people away. <laughs> Not, that sounds like he's like picking them up, you know, but using his energy to push them away. That energy really came through. And I just thought that was such a strong image and emotion as well yeah i totally agree with that and i think that um you're right about i think the other points you know the other uh, points when he does the whole kind of uh, either pushing hands or he uses his like energy i think those are they're all right they're good but the, that was such a small moment in it it wasn't even like a a kind of major point in it it was just something so small and i, I do yeah yeah i totally get where you're coming from there yeah because even um like you said, the Tai Chi is a little bit surreal in some things. It, it wasn't really anything like I'd seen, you know, that that force. But that energy just spoke to me there. And I was like, yes, I understand you're a powerful man too. <laughs> There's very little in the, the way of making of documentaries on this, which is really annoying because I really, I, I've seen a couple of things, but I, I think there's almost this sort of mysteriousness to the actual kind of, 
the film itself because again and maybe it's because they're not actors i necessarily know so it does feel like these are the real people like these are these characters but there is an element of it where it just feels like how how the hell did some of those things get done in such a small budget for a new filmmaker uh where are we um, i think we're on your second um, okay. point yeah <laughs> i'll go with locations being a big part of the storytelling so the kitchen scene where the husband trashes the table and the food and stuff. It was a great, great shot when Mr. Chu sees the mess and he walks away. And I was like, is he just going to leave her there to tidy that up? And he just opens a door and you're like, oh, he is. He's just walking away. He's going to bed. And then he brings out the broom for like 10 seconds there. It was just like teasing with us. Like they've obviously got a very broken relationship between the, the wife and Mr. Chu and maybe it takes something to bring people together like simply cleaning but it also made me think as well that it's not really their relationship it's broken it's husband and wife and he's kind of the cause of it all because like he's leaving his wife to look after his elderly father without giving her any real choice in that who's to blame and this and then as I was thinking that the husband comes back in and puts his head through a wall and it's like yeah he's definitely to blame in, in this this film I, no I, I agree yeah. with that I, th- yeah. I think the locations um, they're always such a big part of you know f- films in general and I think that like cinematography if you have good cinematography brilliant but if you don't have a location that can actually tell you more about a character then you're kind of screwed anyway because like if, if you know you've got a bland room or, or if you've got a room that does not match what you're trying to say then I think that actually it can be really hard to then get across those smaller moments those moments where you just want to have it be visual um, because then you can send mixed messages to an audience um, yeah I, t- I totally agree with you Gary and like coming from locations work which I spent a lot of time doing it's how minuscule things can actually make a difference yeah definitely and I felt like it was, oh, what was I going to say? Oh my God, my point has just left, <laughs> left my head. Um, I felt like we were in the house for so long before we left and went anywhere else. Um, I think the first location after that was at the school, the community yeah, place. Community yeah, um, And I was at, honestly, I'd be quite happy watching it all in the house as well. I felt like there was so much to it and... Yeah, it built that tension with all the different rooms, like you guys are saying, and the divides that are not so obvious, but they are reinforcing their divides as well. Um, so the other two locations, one was when they go to like the outdoor park, mm-hmm. and it's like the the hill that they have to climb. Like there was lots of meaning behind that. Like they're almost reaching the peak of this relationship that's very fragile, but also reaching the end of your lifespan and even though he's very fit, he feels it coming. And I think there was a lot to be said and just people taking a walk. See, that's another good example where, you know, again, Ang Lee, and again, if you look at it, there's a lot of metaphors in the film and, and sometimes maybe too many, but like he does overload the metaphor, but actually um, I think in a film that was meant to go out to an American audience, having, um, and there, there is a quite a bit of it that's not an, an American or English language, I think having those more obvious metaphors are, make it a much clearer. And you're right, you know, kind of them going up, because that's at the point where he really finds out that, that his kids now, they come from a culture where their kids, you know, are meant to look after them. And he kind of realises at that point that they don't really want to look after them, that, that both her, her daughter and, that, and his son, they aren't really there for or wanting to look after him in the future. And I think you're right, there's almost that pinnacle that is reached during that walk. I think just after that's when he leaves, isn't it? Because it's just after that and he leaves like during the night or yeah. something. So yeah, so like you're right, that's a point where he makes a decision and it is almost that claim to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Because that was hard for him to make because, again, it, he's meant to be able to get an easy life in his, his later days. He's allowed to be, you know, the old guy who gets to do whatever he wants and his son's in a, a culture that doesn't quite, you know, attest to that. Yeah, I also agree because I think the way that Mrs Chen breaks down I think awaken something in Chu that maybe makes him realise, okay, I've been getting on with this life, but actually they don't want me here. So 
then that that is sparking his change so yeah the last wee part on just locations is the kitchen restaurant scene i find it really interesting that it was a chinese restaurant that he got the job in and it all worked it worked with like the chinese gang coming in trying to shift them and stuff the film is about a culture clash and i would have loved for him to get a job in a restaurant that's not chinese and doesn't understand his culture you could picture like i don't know like the bog standard italian restaurant owner or just the the white restaurant owner and then when they go to move home and couldn't understand why there was this immovable object and that brought a lot more to the the whole culture clash which is really what the film's all about but i did i did still love those those scenes in the restaurant yeah. Well, it's weird because it, it kind of is. You slightly touch on a point that um that was my next point, and I kind of if you don't mind, can I bridge it because that's yeah. a good point. And uh, first of all, take the kitchen scene. So I do, I do agree. I thought initially the I, I didn't get that because I was thinking, well, surely he goes to Chinatown to live, and surely that's where he would fit in best because that's a culture and a people that he should know or should know him. But for me, I don't think this is when I started to actually think that in a way Chow is probably not not the antagonist but he's definitely he's more immovable like the whole kind of point of that scene I think is how immovable he is and I actually think that it's not necessarily the culture that he clashes with it's actually him himself he's got this very distinct outlook on life and it doesn't matter whether it's his daughter-in-law who yeah they've got a language barrier and a cultural barrier but that wouldn't even matter I think if they could both understand each other there would still be that clash and I think Chow himself is actually, you know, being the Tai Chi master, I think he's almost got this sort of element of, I am I'm bigger and better, you know, like I, I've got this sort of like um, power because when he was in China, no one would touch him, you know, especially during the Cultural Revolution, no one would go near him in fear of him. So I think almost he's got this slight arrogance to him that, you know, again, in a Chinese restaurant, doesn't really matter. The clash there happens because he is, he, I mean, he could work faster because you see how fast they can move, he could work faster if he wanted, but he chooses not to. You're saying that you think he's quite arrogant. What about the scene then where he doesn't want to go back to that community hall because they want him to show off and show what he can do, and he's like, that's not me. No, Maybe that is a form of arrogance, though, because he's like, I'm too good to even be a show. Yeah, I think that there's almost an element for me, and because uh, I know exactly what you're talking about, where he is picking and choosing. Like, you know, obviously when you come to near the end... Um, Mrs. Chen says something to him, says, like, you know, you do know that everyone sees you as a hero and all that. Whereas, again, he kind of loves the idea almost of being mysterious. Like, you know, again, like, he, he, he's, he's talent's hidden and he can pull it out whenever he wants. Whereas when people know about it, he's almost at lack of surprise in his, his defence. You know, he's the, the old man, the kind of, you know, the doddery old man. And suddenly, if everyone knows what he can do, I always took that as the fact that he kind of wanted to be the the invisible guy that could pull it out whenever he wanted. But I do think on the culture thing, Ang Lee was obviously from, um, I can't remember where, I think he was Taiwan, but he it came to New York to go to film school and then he um, obviously got to write this film, but it was going to be financed part sort of uh, Taiwanese and part... Um, New York um, funded so that's why he had to make it kind of a half and half I think there's almost that element he wrote it with a guy called James Seamus who's an American writer producer and I think there's this element where a lot of that must be derived from Ang Lee's own experience with coming to America because even right up to when he made Sense and Sensibility which is three films in his English was terrible like he had no real sense of the English language there's that barrier there that you see almost in his first film and it continues on for him personally right up until he becomes like a Hollywood well-known. But um, definitely the, the culture element was, was massive for me, but, but almost driving from Ang Lee's own journey. Um, it must be hard. I mean, Gary, you've directed quite a few t- like films and fe- you know, features as well. And you know, imagine trying to do that where you've got people of speaking a different language as well and how hard that must be to be able to direct and, and have control. Yeah, and I have an answer for that. I couldn't. i'd love to see you make like the remake of crouching tiger and just like set in like glasgow really if i'm not going to say what i was going to say there we're just going to move on actually so um ashley what's your next point um 
So my next point is towards the end of the film, and we've kind of touched on it a little bit already, um, and it's when Alex and Martha take on that culture that Chu brought in, and the Alex teaches Mar- Martha the pushing hands, and I think that moment was so um, special for me because I hadn't seen such a beautiful and soft moment between them even though they were in a relationship. And after I watched the film, I was like reading up a little bit more online about it. And someone had said, I can't remember who it was, you know, Martha is so put off by the culture that Chu brings in. Why did she marry into that culture? But then that moment brought it back for me and it really, it helped me understand what they have between them and what they've been trying to get back and you know what they obviously remembered before um Chu moved in so yeah I thought that was a really really beautiful moment and it tied in their relationship as well because before then I didn't really think they liked each other much yeah I seen that comment online as well actually Uh which two things it goes to show there's actually not a lot out there on this film yeah I do agree with that comment I found online I was like why is she married into this lifestyle but then if you look at it the husband is from that culture but hasn't really brought it with him with his dad showing up on the doorstep literally this culture has shown up on the doorstep yeah on that last scene as well where the two of them are doing the pushing hands the tai chi together it took for the dad to be kicked out for them to then understand it and it would have just been really nice if somehow through a window or something that he had seen that he had left something yeah. For his, for his family, a piece of him is left. It would have been nice for him to see that, I guess. Yeah, because we see it with Jeremy as well. Like, you know, when he's teaching him uh, the language and stuff, and that is a really, really special moment as well. But I totally agree. It would have it would have rounded it off nicely if Mr. Chu knew that, but maybe he did. Do you think, would, oh, sorry, would, you, would you agree, though, that because when you're talking about the end, and it's something I've only just thought about there, I like the idea that in a way he's had to now sort of submit to western culture as well by no longer not being looked after by his son and actually having to fend for himself and he's old you know what i mean there's almost that element of like you know you don't have to just come here just to be looked after and that's it like you have to stand on your own two feet as well like there's a, a, almost a learning element from him uh chow at the end because he has to go off and then obviously has his little kind of relationship with mrs chen however that's going to turn out but don't you th- this is me just picking at stuff as well but go for it like she was asking, can we get a bigger house? I'm looking at that house going, you could fit so many <laughs> more people in there and still not be walking over each other. Gary, when you you're know? pushing hands all day, it's just not big enough. Like, uh, And also, it looked nice weather. Mm-hmm. If he's doing his Tai Chi, why does he need to do it in the house? Go into the garden. I mean, I think that was her. You're, you've got a rage which shows just what her rage was no, all about. No, because he was very quiet when he was doing his Tai Chi. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have even noticed them there if I was typing. And all she has to do is put on a set of headphones, listen to some classical music, type away. But do you know what? That's like actually something that I did write down that I've forgotten to mention. Um, something I loved when he was doing the Tai Chi, it was so serene and quiet. But they really, really upped the volume on the eating and the um, like the video going on and everything. And that was like ticking her off. Do you know what I think as well though that like? It, you you have those moments and I've you know I've had them as well where like this, this you you almost allow the smallest things to annoy you so somehow you get into your head that that is the worst thing in the world like you know that little sound of someone whistling I don't you know like something like that and it's like that that really annoys me that annoys and it can be like whistling someone can whistle just like you know a little tune for twenty seconds and I'll be like you've been whistling for three and a half hours and it's just that element of she's she's got it in her head she's built it up in herself that those little things that he's doing are somehow to, to annoy her like she's almost got it in her head that this is all to put her out so i feel like there's almost an element of her thinking that you know she needs absolute zen and quiet to do this writing but in some ways at the end when you come to it he's the one that influenced her book like he's the one the reason that she gets the plot for her book so in a way all of that built up and gave her something like she suffered it for a reason and and you know you can say that all that was you know it wasn't for nothing yeah, and I think her her initial frustration is, is it really with him? Or is it the fact that she's got no idea what she wants to write? 
and these are just little niggles because I know see if I'm trying to do something and I can't get an idea or whatever if someone's playing music that's it I've got my head is completely full and I cannot think straight and I think really for her the frustration lies in she feels maybe incapable of doing her work and then that's adding to it and fueling it. This is probably going a bit out there but do you think maybe that the film is actually trying to be a bit meta and maybe we were watching her book yeah Whoa. i mean i mean that <laughs> you know, was like, like you know it's it, it's a good point um you know but and it literally becomes like a wheel within a wheel because then it's like she's writing a book within the book within the book but then if that is where it's going then i'll give them an extra point for the fact that we stay with martha as he leaves because it's her book and her point of view oh so now really, we're talking <laughs> we're slowly getting you on side there gary well but then they go to the park and she's not there. Yeah. But then that's where dramatic license comes in. She's making up what she thinks how Because if you look at it then, if you take that point on, if you if you go accelerate with that point, if you notice the stuff with Chow, for the most part, then becomes a little surreal. I mean, I'm sure, I, I don't know anything about Tai Chi and I don't know like the full methods of it, but like the moments in the community center and then the moments in the kitchen, they are all very, very heightened compared mm-hmm. to some of the moments, you know, again, the more cerebral moments when she is there and she can see him. So there is an element actually that I would probably give you that. The film does kind of open, and it's slightly, to me, it was like slightly overexposed deliberately with the pushing hands, and then it's kind of the same at the end with like the pushing hands, and it's almost like bookends. No, I agree with all. I, th- I think that's a good, a good way to look at it. Okay, they, yeah. can, get, they can get the extra point. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Well, we'll move it to seven. Last point. Your point. Yes. Yeah, I've done my last point. So, uh, so mine is the scene in the prison cell. Low-lit prison cell, two actors, finally just one-on-one, and it's almost gut-wrenching. Best scene in the film for me, other than maybe the opening scene. And the son says that he's been trying to build a family all this time. Mm -hmm. And it's so sad because technically he's already got this family and he's Mm -hmm. losing it by just not looking after him. Mm -hmm. And then it got me thinking, and I could be wrong, but when this film is set, was the Chinese one-child policy in? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I think it was set in the 90s, so I think it was set present day when it was made. Yeah. I'm not sure, but then if you look at that, then it's another reason that this is, this is Mr. Chu's only child, and he just wanted someone to look after him and didn't have that. But in the same scene, he's like, get me a house, bring round my grandson now and again, and I'll be happy. It's not that he's done with his son, but he knows he's now got that separation and he's going to live his own life. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, this has all been said, and then the son's like crying his eyes out at the same time, and you just don't know how to feel about each mm-hmm. of the characters. Because to me, the son was basically a dick the whole way through it. And then at the end, I'm like, oh, you know, you're making me feel for him. Yeah. I think in many respects, the son... Is, is right at the heart of the fault of the film because Martha is just living in her world. The, you know, Chu is just living in his world and and the son's the one that should have bridged them, but he didn't really because he should have taught Martha how to speak that. Like, you know, there should have been more elements. Now, we don't, we don't see that, but I think that there is an element of the son trying to keep the two worlds apart slightly. Yeah, and also, from Martha's point of view, I mean, she probably can't even go out for a cup of coffee because... Like she took the eye off the ball and he blew up the kitchen, basically. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Brilliant, honestly. Paul, have you got a last sort of positive point you want to? I do, it, and it's it's weird. Um, I, th- this is actually one that's that's more to do with the making of it, and it was the fact that it was Ang Lee brought all his own furniture into that flat. That flat was furnished by his own furniture, um, and yes, yeah, so they went ahead and destroyed it. And I thought, I mean, that's dedication to filmmaking right there. Like yeah. How? But do you know what I mean? So much of his heart and soul went into the film, and I think you see that that it's not just a, you know, a film that's here's a script and I'm just going to do it, get it out there, and do it. Like you see every frame in that, regardless of whether you like or loathe the story, every frame of that is painted by someone who doesn't know whether this is going to be the last film he's ever going to make. You know, like he's this might be the only thing he ever gets a chance to do, and I loved that. I thought that that that's what made again a wholesome watch for me was knowing that 
this was a, a guy who was a father who like literally was a house husband for for five six years trying to make be a filmmaker and was like this might be my only chance you know he was 35 36 and being like right you know let's just make it yeah that is so nice it makes it it makes it more real as well you know you can you can relate to his journey as a filmmaker more which is yeah that's lovely i didn't know that at all well that is so nice and such a nice way to end um the positives definitely i love that is there any little nitpicks or anything that we had about the film that we could put out there that we've not already discussed i think i've said my nitpick which was i wanted to see more of new york yeah but i do believe that comes down to probably budget restraints yeah it's actually really funny there's one of the friday the 13th films it's called jason takes manhattan and I think you see Manhattan in it twice and the rest of it set on a boat coming into Manhattan. And again, I do believe that comes down to like budget yeah. and stuff. Uh, but I do have a few other notes that's actually more about Ang Lee that's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, he failed his National University entrance exams in Taiwan. And he also passed on an offer to direct Terminator 3. That would be an interesting film, mm. right there. Because I think at that point, when Terminator Three was what two thousand and three, I think two thousand something like that. If it's the the because that was round about, the, I think that was post Hulk, wasn't mm-hmm. it? And yes. I mean that that went down like a sack of spuds. So I don't think I, I can totally see why he wouldn't want to do that. But I think he would have been a great director for a Terminator film, but just maybe not that one. Yeah, I don't think we're going to ever see that now. Nah, nah. You any notes? Um, so I had one little nitpick, and this is literally the thing that took it from being a ten out of ten to a nine out of ten. When Alex does trash everything in the kitchen, I felt like there was no build up to that. He was he was frustrated, but I feel like he went from being a little bit frustrated and worried to full on. I am going to trash this place and mess everything up. And I just felt like there was too much of a jump and I disconnected a little bit from that part. When he came back in after going to look for him and he was drunk and everything and smashed his head into the wall, I totally stuck with that. But it was just that jump into trashing the place. I don't know. It it didn't work completely for me, but that was literally the only bit of the film that didn't work. Yeah. I think one of my, that, that's actually kind of touching on what my biggest nitpick was, which was I think there were some elements of it felt that they jumped a little too quickly, and 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 this happens in his later films as well. I think I think there's almost a lack of subtlety. I think that's the the word I was looking for. Is there's a lack of subtlety in some of the the plot points in in getting from A to B. Can yeah. I can I make can I go back on one point just before we wrap this up, and that is I know I've harped on about it, not seeing him lost in new york i don't mean it to reference home alone again there but it does <laughs> the other reason i feel that, that would have worked is it would have also helped us understand alex's point of view on why he's so annoyed because if we see new york is this mean and nasty place then we go okay we can relate to why the son is so panicked but to me he's been out a walk and he's stayed out a wee bit later than he should and I couldn't really understand why it was such a big deal. I know New York is huge and it's easy to get lost in. Mm-hmm. You know, also, and... the, his father comes from China, a place that is way bigger than New York, and as a Tai Chi man, it's not as if he's going to get attacked. Mm. Um, so, but again, I think that that almost derives from his own um, his, his you know like insecurity about not looking after his father. It's not that his father's end is going to happen to him. But it's that he should have been, he felt like he should have been seen to be doing something to look after him. I'll stop talking about that now. I'll move <laughs> on. Yes. Do you want to give us a final rating out of 10? I'm genuinely still sticking at 8.5. I, th- I think it's a very open film and you're not going to, like, you're going to see the flaws right away. And if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. It's actually probably deepened my knowledge. Like, some of the points you've come up with has actually deepened my knowledge, but I still wouldn't say that it's any better or any worse. I think it's just that I've, I feel like, you know, some of the points you've made has changed my outlook on it, but not necessarily my enjoyment or my um, love for what he's done. So I would stick at 8.5. I'll shift up to a, a 7. Although I moved the last time in the last episode as well, but I'll, I'll go to a 7. Yeah. And I think 
I am actually going to go down slightly to an 8.5 just because thinking back now the whole uh, sequence with the the kitchen and not following him on the walk and that was a little bit of a grey area for me so I think just a little 0.5. I'll now be honest with Paul and the listeners so the first time I went to watch this <laughs> first time I went to watch this I found a link online maybe about 20 minutes in and I realised that, that there was a lot of uh, Mandarin being spoken and no subtitles were appearing. Oh jeez! I, f- I first thought that was the point of it was we know what they're talking about through visually and their their emotions and I was like no I'm not getting this something's up and then I found it on Amazon Prime and then watched it from the start again with subtitles so it took me to it took me a one and a half years to actually get into it so that might be a problem as well <laughs> one of the exercises i do a lot with my students is uh get them to watch the first sort of act of a film with the sound off to teach them about visual like how visual language works and then what i'll do is i'll say right go back and re-watch the first act um i'll usually give them about half an hour like you know roughly i'm roughly half an hour and say go back and rewatch it now with the sound but uh what the first watch hopefully they're doing is taking notes on what they think's going on and what they believe is being said or communicated and then go back and see if anything at all and it was always a film they've not seen before yeah i'm, I'm quite that's quite interesting you did that gary i mean i know you didn't do it on purpose but you know <laughs> see yeah. you did yeah i'll cut that bit out <laughs> <laughs> well that will um round up our points little reviews of the film we'll take a short break and then we will be back with a quick fire quiz for you paul and gary and i have got five questions each that we're going to ask you and then we're going to move on to some fun facts and short films so we'll see you in a bit when a widowed tai chi master from china comes to live with his son's family in america the cultural barrier between east and west is put to the test I have spent every single day in the same room with that man since he showed up here a month ago. Okay, so here we go. We have 10 quickfire questions for Paul. These are by no means a judgment of your knowledge on the film. They are going to be quick. Oh, Um, God. (laughs) So be ready. Um, So one, what does Mrs. Chen teach? Cookery. Ang Lee's first three films were a triple bill with actor Lung. What's the other two? Oh, the Sea Drink Man, Women, and uh, The Wedding Banquet. Oh, the other way around, though. Where is Mr. Chu's new apartment? New at the Chinatown. Okay. The title is a Tai Chi reference. What does it describe? The element of balance and pushing things to and fro. It's something to do with balance. That's something like that. It's about bringing energy. It's to do with energy. You know, you push energy from one person to another. It's using energy. So if you're hitting your opponent, you would use their energy against them. Okay, and the reference actually is a way of keeping your balance whilst unbalancing your opponent. Is Did I get Basically, a point for that? Yeah, yeah, I'd give you a point. So the film forms a trilogy for Ang Lee. What is the trilogy called? It's like, I, I don't know, for I think it's like the Father Trilogy. I, I don't think that's right. Close. It was Father Knows Best Trilogy. What does Mr. Chu blow up in the kitchen? Is this not the the, the, the microwave? Yes. Yep. Yeah, I was like, I, was, I doubted <laughs> myself there. Hey, here's an easy one. Where is Mr. Chu from? Beijing. After what film was this film released internationally? Ah. Uh... Nah, nah, it's gone. I do. Uh, th- this is this is going. I'm going to kick myself. It was after his third film. So oh. that would have been the wedding banquet. Mm-hmm. Oh no, he drank man women. He, yeah. Uh, and then when Alex returns home from uh, from having a drink and he's drunk, he goes into the bathroom. What does he do? I think he says off the wall, doesn't he? That's the one. <laughs> nice. You've done very well. Yeah. Thank you. so now we are going to go on to fun fact of the day so my fun fact of the day is that turkeys can blush they can get embarrassed and uh, like when they're scared or excited and the pale skin on their head and neck turns either bright red blue or white so turkeys can get a beamer yep i wonder what would make a turkey blush yeah what would make a turkey blush I have no idea. Seen at Christmas? I mean, 
Yeah. Okay. That is oh. a really good one, by the way. I would I would never have known that. No, I I've didn't. I've never totally. looked at a turkey and thought, I wonder if you get embarrassed. <laughs> I know. It's the embarrassment that causes it. Well, it said, it said um, when they're scared or excited. So, I don't know. Yeah. Paul, what is your fun fact of the day? So, my fun fact is um, the, the Twitter bird, the little icon, is named Larry. Did you know this? The Twitter bird no. icon was named Larry. It was named after Larry Bird, who is a, a Hall of Fame basketball player. Um, and I think it was literally uh, the, the co-founder, um, I can't remember his name, the Twitter co-founder, but he grew up in the, that era of basketball. And um, when they said they were going to put, use a bird, they knew they needed to give it a name. So he was like, what's the most famous bird they knows? And it was Larry Bird. And that is why the Twitter bird is called Larry. There you go. My fact is about mosquitoes and their mouth. They have 47 teeth. Only female mosquitoes bite. And because of their bite, they are actually the world's deadliest animal. That's quite to know. I mean, they're, they're so tiny as well. Mm-hmm. So that's a nice wee grim fact to end oh, on. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Two fairly upbeat facts and then, like, killer <laughs> mosquitoes. Yeah, we balanced it out. <laughs> um, so to finish off, we name a short film that we have watched and let our listeners know where they can watch this film as well, just to support short films and get some out there as well. So, Paul, do you want to start us off? So, um, I'm going with Two Cars, One Night um, by Taika Waititi. An amazing film, um, all set in a a car park um, and slightly based on his time in New Zealand growing up where uh, your mum and dad would go to the pub and would leave the windows down in the car and leave the kids in the car and all the kids would kind of create this culture of friendship across all the cars and it's like this sort of almost um mini love story happens between this boy and this girl and they're slightly derogatory of each other at first um but it's the typical kind of like you know love but hate each other because the boy's quite arrogant and the girl's like just thinks she's a bit older and a bit more mature than the boy and i think he got he won an, or he was nominated for an oscar for it Nice. So that's that. you can find that on youtube and i think it's also on vimeo as well but you can easily find that two cars one night uh, Gary, do you want to go with your short film? Yeah, so this episode I've went with a horror film that you can find on YouTube and it's called The Smiling Man and it's just set in a, a house with a creature, there's lots of prosthetic makeup on it that looks visually striking. I think it's American. It's been a while since I've seen it and I just remembered about it today. So check out The Smiling Man. Nice. Um, and my short film recommendation is called Jealous Allen, directed by Martin Clark. Um, it's set in Scotland in the 80s and it's basically two friends kind of trying to win over the same girl, but the girl isn't interested or she's a little bit interested. It's just a really, really, really nice short film. Um, lots of themes of like friendship and yeah, just that sort of teenage struggle and the phase the phases you go through but that's a great great short film and that is on iPlayer at the moment in part of next big thing series two which I love next big thing so yes so thank you so much Paul for joining us today this has been a great chat um and thanks for choosing pushing hands as well because as I said from the poster I I didn't think it appealed to me. I thought it was going to be yeah, a martial arts film and yeah, I loved it. I loved it. Um, so Paul, do you want to let our listeners know where they can find you and find out about projects? Yeah. Yeah. So you can find me on Facebook, uh, Paul Mackey uh, slash writer director. Um, and you can get me on Twitter as well. Uh, Paul Pitt one, which is not something I chose personally. Um, and you can also get me on Instagram. It's Paul Mackey. That's P-O-L-M-A-C-K-I-E 94. Um, and that's pretty much where most things tend to happen. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. Honestly, this has been great. And I'm looking forward to seeing the other episodes as well and seeing what other films you've got. Yeah, and you're also going to have a hard time trying to see them when it's a podcast. But Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> see in terms of... Uh, okay, I'll, I'll redo that one. I'm looking forward to hearing all these future episodes. <laughs> Um, honestly, I, I'm genuinely like I think it's going to be so cool. It seems like you've got some really cool uh, guests lined up as well. No pressure now. No.
yeah, no pressure at all, you know. <laughs> um, but no, good luck with the rest of it, guys. Um, and yeah, thanks for having me on. Thank you. Yeah, and as always, you can find us on Instagram at Choose Film Podcast and on Twitter at Film Choose. Uh, I have been Ashley Sutherland. And I have been Gary Hewitt. And thank you so much for listening and join us next time where we are going to take a deep dive into the favourites, which I'm really looking forward to. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. Are you talking to me?